Hello, welcome to another episode of the Churchology Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holmes, and today on the show, we are talking to Justin Lonis. Justin is a part of the Chalmers Center, and the Chalmers Center, maybe you've never heard of that, but you've probably heard of the book, When Helping Hurts. Uh, That book comes out of the Chalmers Center. And the mission of the Chalmers Center is to equip local churches to address the broken relationships at the root of material poverty, living out Jesus's kingdom today. And Justin and I have a great conversation about how churches can serve their communities in real specific kingdom ways. So this is a great conversation, a really practical conversation. So listen to this, share it on social media, enjoy it. Let's jump right in. Justin Lonis on the Churchology Podcast. All right, well, today on the show, we are excited to have Justin Lonis from the Chalmers Center. Justin, how are you today? Doing well, Mark. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Justin, let's get started. Uh, Introduce our audience with uh, what exactly the the Chalmers Center is. A lot of people that are watching this or listening to this, they're going to be familiar with the book, uh, When Helping Hurts. That's right. And obviously that book comes out of the center. And so just just talk about what what, what it is (laughs) and, and, and the work that you do. Yeah, you know, uh, so we we are the Chalmers Center for Economic Development at Covenant College. So uh, that is uh, that's our home base is Covenant College in Lookout Mountain, Georgia, which is a undergrad uh, college of the Presbyterian Church in America. Um, and uh, the our center uh, actually grew out of the economics and community development major at the college, where we have um, many many students there that are studying this kind of in, a, in an intensive four year. Uh, track to to do community development uh, in a in a biblically informed holistic way so that takes into account uh, the theological foundations of who people are uh, how how the church is at work in the world understanding the social realities of poverty understanding um, you know the the just the various things that contribute to people being stuck in material poverty and over the years um, uh, People would come to uh, to the professors in that major at the college uh, and started asking for help with uh, with the, what their ministry was doing in other parts of the world or with their local church. And so, uh, in 1999, uh, we started the Chalmers Center as a way to uh, translate that those materials, those ideas that we were learning and studying, uh, out to a wider audience beyond just the the students in the school. Um, and so we are, we're officially, we're, we're, we're home based in, in the Presbyterian Church, uh, like I said, but we are, um, uh, we are officially non-denominational. So we work with, with people across, um, uh, across the U.S., across the world in a variety of different denominational settings and uh, just try, try our best to, uh, to help churches think differently about poverty and then do something about it. Uh, that's, that's the shorthand version. This is, uh, it's, uh, I think we all kind of understand that uh, the church has a responsibility to care for the poor, but, uh, but many Christians don't uh, have a great idea of how to do that well. Um, and so that's, that's our focus as an organization. And, and my role here is as the director of core content deployment. So I, I help uh, churches get plugged in with our, our various books and online trainings and uh, help them answer questions and get started uh, serving 
uh, in their community where they are with the best tools that we can provide to help them do their, their, their work well. Yeah, and a lot of people, like we said, we mentioned the book When Helping Hurts. Every, a lot of people are going to be familiar with that. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people, uh, you guys are, are working with all kinds of different, like you said, groups, denominations. And, and one thing that stands out is you define poverty differently than the way a, a lot of people, a lot of groups uh, do. C can you define that? What is poverty? Yeah, yeah, that is... Um you know, that, that is the, the key thing, uh, isn't it? Uh, in that when we go to, I, I don't think you'd find anybody that would say poverty is a good thing. Um, uh, but when we go to try to solve the, the problem of poverty, what we think the problem is, is going to inform our solutions. Uh, and so if you think uh, people are poor because they, they don't have a good education, you're going to invest your solution in, in providing educational opportunities. If you think they're poor just because they don't have enough food, you're going to provide food. If you think they need uh, medical care, you're going to provide medical care. So you need to understand what the problem is before you try to attack the solution. Uh, and, and so here, here at the Chalmers Center, we, we focus on uh, understanding poverty, not primarily as a lack of money or a lack of material things, though that is a way that it manifests itself. We call that material poverty, just to kind of uh, make that distinction so it's not as as confusing. But uh, poverty is fundamentally about a broken relationship, broken relationships between uh, us and God, broken relationships within ourselves, within our, our personhoods, our psychology, broken relationship with other people, and a broken relationship with the rest of creation. And so God God created us to be in community with himself, with other people, perfectly fulfilling our creation mandate to fill the earth and, and, uh, and to, to care for and keep the earth and, and work unto glory. Um, and because of sin, uh, that relationship is broken with him, but it's also the case that uh, our relationships with, with every other aspect of creation is also broken. We like to describe it, we think of it as a wheel. Uh, like see, see a person as a wheel. So you, your, your heart, your emotions, your, your will, your, your, your mind, it's kind of the hub, but then your, your relationships outside of yourself are actually part of who you are as well. And so if you take out the spoke between you and God, uh, a wheel without, with a missing spoke doesn't keep just rolling down the road, like a perfectly good wheel. It's going to get bent and broken and dinged up. So when, when our relationship with God is broken because of our sin through the fall, uh, that's going to affect every other aspect of our, of our lives as well. And so um, you know, we, 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 we say poverty is rooted in broken relationships, not just to mean, hey, you need to be uh, in friendship and relational community with people who are in poverty, though that's, a, as we'll talk about in a little bit, that's a big piece of the puzzle of how you go about addressing it. But, uh, but that that disconnect between who we are created to be and who we are now because of the brokenness in the world. Uh, and that manifests itself in a lot of different ways. For a lot of people that does show up as material poverty, as lack of access to the social systems that, uh, that provide jobs and wealth and uh, access to you know, community life. Uh, but all of us are broken uh, in this framework. You know, I, I may be uh, financially well off, but I may have a terrible relationship with creation by being a workaholic, or I may have a terrible relationship with myself by being proud, by, being, by thinking that I am 
responsible for my own successes in life and not understanding the role that God's gifts has played and the role that other people have played, etc. So we, we tend as a culture in the US, uh, especially kind of look down on people in poverty as though it's, it's, uh, it's their problem primarily. Uh, and the reality is none of us have it together. And so, uh, so we, we approach poverty from that framework of understanding that we're all broken, uh, that in some sense we are all poor. Uh, we are all experiencing uh, lack of flourishing in those four key relationships with God, self, others, and the rest of creation. Uh, and uh, that's, that's really crucial to, to starting a conversation about how to help people in, in ways that honor who, who God made them to be. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about what it means to be broken um, psychologically? You talked about yeah. one of those broken relationships is, is with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so, so it, it can even be in a mindset that I have about myself. Can you talk That's right. That's right. You know, one of the, one of the, the key problems that we, we run into when we're walking with churches that are trying to do ministry in their own community is that, people who are wrestling with material poverty, the way that broken relationship with themselves tends to, to come out is in a kind of, we, we call it a marred identity, that the idea that like, I, I just, I can't get it together. I am not good enough. I don't have the skills that it takes to, to provide for my family. I, you know, it, it ties in with shame, with, with um, just feelings of, of inadequacy, of, of, uh, of pain and brokenness. And then you see uh, the way that a lot of people who aren't wrestling with material poverty are broken. It comes out in, in pride uh, and under and a lack of a lack of understanding of your own problems, your own internal problems. And so that's a that's it's a bad dynamic uh, for for a lot of uh, materially wealthy people and materially poor people working together to try to solve problems. Is that the, the pride of, of people who, who are broken in that way, uh, mixing with the shame of people who are broken in a materially po- poor uh, setting, uh, is just a, it's a dangerous combination at, uh, that results in a lot of pain and, and frustration with, uh, with ministry work over time. It's kind of where you get into some of the compassion fatigue issues and, uh, and uh, th- things that, that stop people from caring uh, when, when they're really just not recognizing the way their own brokenness is, is interacting with someone else's brokenness. Yeah. So it's not just a, it's not just a material issue, even though like Absolutely. you said, it, that's, that's in there. One yeah. of the things you said too, uh, I wonder if you could talk about, you know, you said broken relationships with others. So mm-hmm. in that, would that, would that include things like systemic issues that might even hold yeah. down into poverty or, or lead yeah it's it's a it's a very common thing for especially especially americans we'll, we'll talk america because that's where we're that's where we're at that's who yeah. we're, we're dealing with uh in 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 our local churches here um uh, americans we 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 say often um if you ask a, a five-year-old sunday school class what happened when when adam and eve sinned they'll tell you everything broke you know, the, the fall broke everything. But somehow when Americans grow up, they, they either turn into Republicans or Democrats. And I'm not, wow. I'm not about to get too political here, but the, uh, you know, the, the broad categories are, some people think, they tend to think the fall only broke individuals, that mm. they broke people uh, and, and the way that people make choices, the way that we work, so our individual sins. Uh, and that, that's absolutely true people are broken and a lot of times material poverty is 
connected with people's own sin and their their you know destructive habits, poor choices, etc. But that's only half the story because the, the the systems of the world are also broken. And if you think about it, it's not really that hard to get your mind around in that broken people make broken systems. <laughs> like you, you know, the, the the fall happened at the very beginning. So everything that Adam and Eve were supposed to do were supposed to uh, spread the rule and reign of God uh, and his justice and righteousness through their whole whole work in the world. Everything that they do, all their children, all the governments, all the nations, everything that rises up out of, uh, of humanity over time carries that brokenness. And so instead of spreading God's perfect rule to the world, they end up spreading sinful brokenness to the world. Um, and so that's, that's uh, you would say, maybe, well, some people make the mistake of thinking, well, if we just fix the systems, we're going to fix the people. Um, but it's, it's always both. You've got to look at both the systems and the people. And I, I think for a lot of evangelical Christians in the United States, um, they tend to not see the system uh, as a part of the puzzle. Uh, and and that's, that's a big mistake. And you, you need to look at, at both. Uh, at both of those as potential causes of poverty, both uh, individual problems and systemic problems. And yeah, so we, we, we spend a good bit of time when we work with churches, kind of helping them think through the multifaceted causes of material poverty. And, and there's more than just those two, but those are kind of the two big ones that you have to understand um, that somebody may be experiencing a broken relationship with creation because they, you're, you're in Eastern Kentucky. Maybe, maybe their, their well water is poisoned by a coal mine upstream. Maybe, maybe they, their county is, uh, is um, you know, not receiving uh, Medicaid funding because the governor wants to cut it off or maybe, you know, and so they can't access healthcare and that makes them lose their job because they can't get their, uh, their diabetes treatments. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that if you, if you start to tease it out in your mind uh, that the brokenness in the world uh, isn't just a result of a bunch of individual sins. It, it actually kind of transcends our individual problems and, and gets baked into our, our social, religious, political, and economic systems. Uh, and uh, that's, that's part of, part of, uh, cultivating a heart of compassion for the poor is understanding you can't fix poverty by telling people to make better choices. Hmm. Uh, you, yeah, that doesn't mean, again, that doesn't mean that's not a piece of the puzzle, but you can't, you can't think that that's the whole ball game. Yeah. I'm so glad that you said that because one of the things that I find when I have this conversation with, with some people, and it seems to come up quite often is, is when you talk about, you know, poverty or, you know, helping, you know, the poor, in evangelical circles, the response a lot of times instantly tells me um, what political side of the aisle you're on. Right. And so, so people's response to that, I can tell instantly whether or not you're a Republican or a Democrat or, uh, because that's, that's it. Rather than even, you know, responding from a biblical standpoint, I'm going to give you my political talking points. Yeah, we have, we have our frameworks that we let get in the way of actually digging deep into scripture and applying applying the way that God wants us to be as a church uh, in the community. Yeah. We, we run that through our political or social filters instead of letting, letting scripture be, be our guidepost. Yeah. So, so for the church, cause when I listen to you talk, so for the church to really get on board, I mean, it's going to require just, I think it even says it in the book, a complete change of the worldview. Yeah. Somebody yeah. has. 
It, it, it often does, especially, you know, like I said, I, 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 I try not to throw the United States under the bus, but, you know, Americans are, uh, we are a pretty materialistic people. Hmm. We tend to think of things in material, solu material uh, problems and material solutions. So if I'm sick, I might pray for, for healing, but I usually remember to do that after I've been to the doctor. Mm -hmm. uh, or, or after I've tried to solve the problem, you know, my back hurts. I'm going to take Advil for a week before I remember to ask God to help my back stop hurting. Yeah. Um, you know, if I, if I need, uh, if I need to problem fix, I'm going to throw money at it. I'm going to try to fix it with a material solution. And, um, and the way that the, the, um, uh, the Christians in America, the church in America tends to approach poverty tends to flow out of that mindset mm -hmm. to uh, that. And you end up with a, uh, with a, a very short-sighted uh, uh, understanding of, of what the problems are. And so you, you have a short list of solutions. Um, and that and it, that cuts across both both sides of the political spectrum. It's, that, that just, you know, people want to throw money at problems that just differ on whether it should be individuals' money or state money. <laughs> but they, yeah. they come at it from the same perspective. Um, and, you know, the the, the big the big heart shift comes for for churches when you have to start realizing that what God wants for uh, the, his church and and the community around the church is for people to be restored to what it means to be human for, you know to get those relationships that we talked about back in in line uh, through through Christ you know he's restoring our relationship with God but he's you know Colossians 1. Jesus isn't just fixing your legal problem. He's not just making sure you get to go to heaven when you die. You know, Paul says that Jesus is, is restoring all things, everything, all things hold together in Christ. Um, and it's the picture we see in, in, the, in the Old Testament prophets. It's a picture we see in Revelation that this idea of, of um, you know, Jesus, Jesus isn't just here for our, uh, our, our souls. He's here to, to renew all things and to make all things new and, and bring uh, the kingdom of heaven uh, on earth as it is in heaven. You know, that's, that's, that's the vision um, of, of scripture. Uh, and so a lot of churches that we work with have had, um, they've just had a lot of years of, of misapplied discipleship. We'll be, we'll be really generous <laughs> and just say there, there is a, there's a level of, uh, of misunderstanding of what, what the scriptures actually teach about God's kingdom, about what salvation entails, about who people are, uh, about what God is doing in the world uh, that uh, is informed in a lot of ways by our materialistic setting here in the United States. Uh, so we we tend to we tend to um, look at uh, future hope uh, as just well I get to live forever spiritually you know, it's like well, someday I'm going to get old and die and I'm going to spend all my money and all my time trying to keep that from happening as long as possible and then um, and then I'm just going to you know play a harp on a cloud uh, with God for all eternity and. That's not that's not Scripture's vision of of the church in eternity. The church is ruling and reigning with Christ uh, in the new heavens and the new earth, and that so our our focus as the church here and now shouldn't be get all you can, make all you can, you know, do some good things, but really just focus on the sweet by and by. Our focus as the church here and now should be what what does it look like to live as though God's kingdom has already come. 
you know, what, you know, I'm not going to get into premillennialism and postmillennialism <laughs> and everything. Although, if you if you're familiar with theology, you can hear that burbling right under the surface here. But that uh, you know, we are outposts of the kingdom. You know, yeah. that we are we are fulfilling uh, God's call to to be His ambassadors uh, here and now. So, living uh, our daily lives and our work and through our communities as though what what. Uh, the Lord says about his second coming is actually true, that, that there is going to be a day where God's going to judge the world and he's going to restore all things and, uh, and he's going to reign with his people for, for all eternity. And, and we, we want to live like that here and now as the church. And that entails, you know, living in a certain way towards people who are poor as well. Uh, that that's clearly God's heart uh, throughout scripture. And you see it over and over and over again, that he, he, he stands up for the weak, for the poor, for the fatherless, for the widow, uh, for the foreigner uh, in your land. And so, um, you know, a lot of our work as an organization, you know, we, we do, we, we have a bunch of, a bunch of tools. I mean, I, I could, I, I'll just tell everybody, visit our website, chalmers.org. Uh, there's a lot of things there that can really help you jump in and do good work at whatever level on this journey you are. You, you may already, you may be listening to this and be like, well, duh, I, I, I get, I get all that. I just need to know how to, how to help people find a good job and, and overcome some of the difficulties and in getting into the workplace. Well, we have tools that do things like that, that are, that are designed for, for actually helping you understand best practices in certain situations and, uh, you know, do do a great job serving people in a in a healthy, holistic way in whatever capacity you are. But a lot of our work focuses, uh, especially in our books and some of our online trainings, we focus more on that heart change issue because that's actually the biggest hurdle uh, for people. If you if you can get your mind around the fact that God actually uh, wants you to be primarily concerned with loving your neighbor <laughs> and loving Him. Uh, shocker, uh, that that's actually, uh, you, 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 we don't have to work very hard to convince you to do things in a healthier way if you're already in that mindset of understanding the big picture of what God's doing in the world. But for a lot of, a lot of believers, uh, we just have a really, and, and I, I'm saying this, I'm preaching to, I'm preaching to the choir in the sense that this was my story for most of my uh, adult life until I, I started to started to study the scriptures and started to think differently about uh, about what it is that we are doing in this world as the church. But I, you know, I, I think um, I didn't have a very big vision for how my my daily work connected with uh, the kingdom of God. I didn't have a big vision for what my my church had to do with the community. You know, other than hey, we need to make sure all these heathens out here that aren't in here on Sunday morning with us get to hear about Jesus so they don't have to go to hell when they die. And that's, that's not wrong. That's, just, that's just, just a tiny sliver of the story that God's telling about salvation and, and his kingdom in, in the scriptures. Yeah. Uh, and so we've had, to, we've, had, we've had to engage in uh, re-discipling the church, you know, help, helping the church uh, to come around to... Uh, a, a different vision of what it means to be the church in the world uh, before they can really engage the community in, in a long-term sustainable, healthy way. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you bring it in scripture there. I love that you're bringing in that vision of, of that, 
that salvation is not just some individual thing where now we're waiting to go to heaven, you know, after this right. life where we try to get as much as we can, spend as much mm-hmm. as we can, um, you know, that God actually wants us to be the kingdom right here in the world. I love that. Um, mm-hmm. But what are, you, you, you hinted at several, I guess, wrong mindsets that we might have. Yeah. What are some, what are some of the wrong mindsets, uh, wrong ideas that Christians can have when it comes to uh, alleviating poverty? Yeah, you know, I, I think there, there, are, uh, there, there are probably a lot more than I can, I can hit on here. You know, we're, we're, we are endlessly creative people, so mm-hmm. we can always come up with new ways to, to make mistakes. But, um, you know, I see primarily two big areas where, where Christians, particularly, again, we're talking U.S. here. I don't want to throw my, my brothers and sisters in the majority world under the bus because yeah. they, they have a different, they have a whole different experience of poverty than most Americans do. You know, we, we often say um, jokingly, you know, we, are, we, we, do, we do ministry in other parts of the world as well. And so we, we, we said we've, we've helped tens of thousands of people in some of the poorest countries in the world uh, navigate their way out of poverty through local church uh, ministry. And we've helped about 10 people in Chattanooga, <laughs> where we're located over the years. That's hmm. uh, hyperbole. But the, 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 the point stands in the sense that uh, in, in much of the world, the churches are churches of the poor. Uh, and in the United States, um, people who are poor and people who are wealthy, they might both be Christians, but they're not going to go to church together very often. Uh, that's that's a that's a that's a big piece of the the, the problem here. And so I would say, you know, I said there were I'm, I'm rambling. I said there were two two key areas. That first area relates to that in that a lot of people in the United States context who are not materially poor, uh, they look around and they they think, how could you be poor here? I mean, this is the richest country in the history of the world. Uh, you know, until until uh, March of this year, you know, we're recording this in 2020, and so the the economy is still down and out uh, from the the COVID-19 pandemic. But you know, prior prior to March, I mean, we were at some of the lowest unemployment in uh, in in my lifetime. You know, there's, there's jobs everywhere. Why why can't you just get a job? Why why are you poor? And we have you know we have social safety nets, so you you should be you shouldn't be needing anything. And so there, there's this attitude in the in the U.S. that, um, particularly in the church, that uh, poverty here is somehow different than poverty in other parts of the world. So you know, you might you might go on a mission trip to Haiti, and you'll 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 think, man, this is such a hard place to live, and your your heart's just overflowing with compassion for people there. And then when you look, uh, you know, at a, a a low income part of your own town or your own county, you might think gosh, I can't believe those people are living that way. And like, they, they should get out of there. You should, you should move, you should get a job, you should get better education, improve yourself, fix your own problems, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's, that's a, a key way that a lot of, a lot of American Christians uh, end up not fulfilling God's heart for the poor and that we, we tend to forget that big picture, like we were talking about of those broken relationships and how they inter- interact together. And, it's not just as simple for some people, especially if you've if you've got like we talked about some mental health issues. If you've got, um, you know, you're a victim of of some of the historic oppressions that we've uh, endured here as as a, as a nation and committed against our own people as a nation. Um, 
there, there are many factors that contribute to be someone being in poverty and it's not just as simple as, hey, get a job. Um, the second one though is probably actually more common. So I don't wanna, I don't wanna make it sound like I'm throwing American churches under the bus as though we're all a bunch of callous, uh, you know, venture capitalists trying to, trying to make a quick buck and, and turn everybody out on the street that doesn't fit with the program. But I, th I think a lot of Christians actually do think they have a heart for the poor. They, they actually do understand, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty, you have, to, you have to really actively not read scripture to, to think that it's not your responsibility as a, as a follower of, of, of Jesus to, to love people who are poor. Yeah. Uh, so most people do, but what they end up, uh, they, they end up approaching that from, from that same materialistic mindset where they, they just want to give, uh, give people money uh, you know, so they, they might be the most generous people in town and they, but they'll, they'll, they'll give handouts to people instead of giving of themselves, giving of their time and relationship. You know, that's one of the things that we hit in a lot of our curriculums uh, is this idea of social capital and, and relational capital and that um, the oftentimes to be poor and anywhere in the world, but in the United States, it means you're cut out from the social systems that help people uh, find jobs, that help people uh, you know, get, get promoted at their job, that help people get into a good school, that help people you know, break a bad habit, <laughs> et cetera. You know, we, we were deeply enmeshed in, in relational communities. And, uh, and a lot of times, one of the best things a church can do is to actually engage with somebody at that relational level, and before they start trying to fix their problems, is just to be involved in their lives. Yeah. Uh, and so, a lot of American Christians are a lot more generous with their money than they are with their time, and that uh, that results in you know a lot of perpetuating a lot of dependencies. Uh, so we we can end up um, you know making it so that being poor for some, being materially poor for someone can be less of a problem in their mind than trying to make it in a different way. You know, you get used to uh, receiving uh, handouts from, from well-meaning people. So you, you don't have to, you don't have to save and buy groceries for your family because, you know, the food pantry from the local church has got you covered. You don't have to save and buy clothes because the clothes closet at the local church has got you covered. And, that's not to say that there's never a situation where people need immediate handouts, immediate relief uh, for, for problem, but uh, you know, we, you know, this gets into kind of one of the key themes in, in the book, When Helping Hurts, that, that comes up in a lot of our other curriculum as well, is that uh, understanding of uh, relief versus development. You know, so relief is necessary if somebody's had a crisis. So if, if my house burns down, um, you are not creating an unhealthy dependency in me by giving me a place to stay and giving me clothes and giving me food while we, while we figure out what happened and, and put my life back together. Mm -hmm. um, that, is, that is good and right, uh, and the church should absolutely do that. And the church is generally pretty good at that, uh, at, at yeah. meeting those immediate needs. Um, if I have lost my house because I got foreclosed on, because I lost my job, and I, my family is 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 falling apart, and we're 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 bouncing from hotel to hotel, and really struggling to to find any sort of stability. 
that's not the same thing. That's not the same kind of immediate crisis. There's a, there's a long story behind that situation. And there's a lot of underlying factors that, uh, like we talked about earlier, some of which might be related to my choices, but some of which might be related to, to larger systemic issues yeah. that have caused the factory where I worked in my town to shut down or, or, you know, all, all kinds of, all kinds of uh, ways that could, that could be borne out. And so, uh, when the church approaches all poverty alleviation from a relief standpoint, you know, we think anytime we see anybody who doesn't have the same blessings, material blessings that we enjoy as the, the people who have it together, um, we just want to make sure that they have the same stuff that we have. And, and we're not addressing the underlying issues at all. We're not getting into uh, people's deeper brokennesses uh, and and that's that's a big problem. And I think a lot of churches don't want to get into that because it it's well it's messy. <laughs> you know, when you start you start walking with people uh, and and having them become a part of your church family uh, and be engaged with your church, and they have addiction problems and mental health issues and and uh, all kinds of uh, ancillary brokenness that comes along with material poverty, oftentimes. Um, a lot, of, a lot of churches realize very quickly they're in over their head, and it's um, it's a, it's just a lot easier to write a check and and, uh, and call it good than it is to actually say, "Hey, I'm broken, and I need Jesus for every part of my life to be made whole, not just my spiritual self." And you're broken, and you need Jesus to make every part of your life whole. And we're not going to get there this side of glory but can we do it together? <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a different approach uh, than a lot of, a lot of uh, churches and a lot of Christians in the United States are, are ready to take. Uh, it just, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to begin to walk that road. But once, once you start to walk that road, uh, there is great joy there. Uh, and, and, and you actually do get to see people transformed over time. You also see how complex poverty is and see how hard uh, life can be for some people and how um, transformation is not a linear process uh, for most of us. Yeah, yeah. And so what you're talking about is um, what, what you call the, the, three, uh, the three types of intervention. And so the first type is, is relief, like you said, which, which everybody, right. most people familiar with, yeah. uh, see a need, meet a need. Right. Um, and, and, and not that we're taking that off the table, that obviously needs right. to be there. But like, like you said, it's, it's more complicated. So the first level of intervention is relief. Mm -hmm. And then the second level is, what, what is the next one? Rehabilitation, okay, rehabilitation. Uh, is really the second one. So that's, that's related to relief. So in, you know, in that example I gave about you know, my house burning down, Relief is making sure that my family has a place to stay tonight yeah, and making sure we have food on our table tonight and making sure we have clothes on our backs tonight. Rehabilitation is saying, hey, we're going to get the church together and we're going to raise some money and we're going to help um, rebuild your house to get you back to where you were before the crisis happened. Uh, you know, and that's, and that's, you know, that's a beginning, beginning to move toward a more developmental approach. You know, and so it's, talk it's about involving, that. Yeah, it's involving me in my own in the solution. You're not just giving me stuff, but you're inviting me to, to work with you to help get back to where we were. Development is okay. Going beyond that, 
-hmm. So that's more uh, applicable in most situations. You know, it's, it's not the case that every person you meet who is materially poor is in the midst of a crisis, like a, a, a true crisis of, of need. Um, you know, there, there, there's a lot of stability in poverty uh, in, in that sense, like there, there's instability. I, I probably, you might want to edit this part out. <laughs> uh, there, there, there is, there's a, there's a way in which most, most people that you meet who are living in poverty are, they are used to living in poverty. This is, this is, this is a way of life. This is, this is their situation. It's the water they swim in. And so to go to them and say, Hey, you, you need uh, these material things as though they had just lost everything they owned uh, is not the right approach. The right approach is to say, Hey, did you know that there is a, there is a better way to, to be in the world? There's, there's opportunities for flourishing and restoration and health and, and growth um, that are going to require uh, you know, the, there's the, to do development. That's what we call development. That's that third, the third intervention, yeah. uh, which is actually the one that's the hardest to get people to to do uh, as 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 servants, you know, as, as churches or ministries. But it's the one that actually changes people's lives uh, over time, um, and it require. It's hard because it requires buy-in from both. You know, we talk a lot uh, here in our, our curriculums and, and in our, our work as an organization about mutual transformation. So as we work together, I, if I'm reaching out to, to serve someone who is living in material poverty, I'm going to learn things about my own brokenness through that process. I'm going to grow to be more like Christ through that process, but also helping someone who's been stuck in a generational poverty mindset, remember who they are in Christ and remember their agency and their dignity and to, to begin to take ownership of a process of helping uh, move them and their family out of poverty. And it has to, you have to get both of those together oftentimes, uh, al almost every time, you know, that, so that you, you can, you can do things to people <laughs> in, in relief. You know, that's a lot of, a lot of our approach. You can, you can shovel, shovel material goods off the back of the pickup truck as it were. Um, but you can't, you can't do development without participation. The, the person that's coming out of a poverty background, they've got to own that process and they've got to come with you on that journey. That's why we, we put such an emphasis on relationship is because you can't, you can't, uh, you can't develop someone's community from the outside in. It has to be, it has to be both inside and outside motivations together. Yeah. So can relief be kind of like a, the front door of the entire process? So relief can be, hey, you know, we're, we're helping this person and we, we, we can begin to move through the stages towards relationship development, rehabilitation, you know, is, is yeah, that it, rather, it rather than be, relief know, we, is the end? Yeah, yeah. Relief is certainly not the end yeah. um, for, for most people, but it can be done well. It can be done uh, as, a, as, like you say, a front door. And so in our, um, our curriculum on church benevolence ministry, you know, okay. I'd say, what do you, what do you do when somebody comes to your church and asks you for help paying their electric bill? Mm -hmm. um, you know, if 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 you're thinking carefully about that process, you want to you understand the fact that they need help with their electric bill is not their primary problem right now. So I want to take a long term approach to help them. Uh, 
see a bigger picture of a way out of life, especially if, if you're from a small town, you, you know, people that you, that there's probably not the first time they've come to your church asking for help. And it's probably not the first time they've come to the church down the street asking for help either. Uh, and so to say, I want to serve this person well, paying their electric bill is not going to fix the problem, but paying their electric bill that first time you meet them might be a way that you can begin to be, to start a relationship. So like you say, it is, it is a front door. You don't, don't pat yourself on the back for paying their electric bill as though you are fulfilling uh, everything that Jesus says about loving, loving your neighbor through that moment. But you're going to get a lot farther with the long-term relational approaches if you err on the side of generosity and grace at the beginning. Mm. Um, you know, that, that uh, you, you know, if somebody comes to your church and they need help and you're going to ask them to, uh, to do a jump through a bunch of hoops before you meet their, their need, they're not going to stick around for, <laughs> for relationship. Mm, wow. um, so it's, it's, it's both and, but, yeah. but recognizing that oftentimes that relief piece is, is just the front door. And there's a lot more, a lot more that comes after that. Yeah. And so what, what can come after that? What, what might this look like for, um, for, for churches, uh, you know, who the relief piece like you said, most churches are probably doing that. We understand that. Yeah. Uh, but to move forward, that's where, oh man, we would love to do that. We don't have the, we don't have the people power to do that. Right. The resources, the connection. Right. How do we, how can we begin to do this? You know, uh, it's a, it's a really great question. Cause that is, that's, that's where a lot of people, when I, when I, when I visit churches and we start talking about these things, that's usually kind of what bubbles up next is like, oh, how do, how do I, how do I do that? How do we put these things into practice? And the the metaphor I like to use is, is well, it's a it's a scriptural metaphor, but the, the church is a family. Um, the church is the family of God, and so when you think about that in this context of poverty alleviation, say you and I are brothers in, in a real you know in an actual human family, not just brothers in Christ. Um, if you have cancer unless I'm a doctor, you don't want me to fix your cancer. <laughs> you certainly want somebody that knows what to do about cancer to fix your cancer. But is that doctor going to dress your wounds while you're home recovering from surgery? Is that doctor going to fix food for you? Is that doctor going to put an extra blanket on your bed when you're cold because of the chemotherapy is tearing up your body? Is that doctor going to drive you to and from appointments? Is that doctor going to sit with you while you're in pain and comfort you and pray with you? Is that doctor going to make sure you, you have childcare lined up so that you can miss work uh, or make it back to work when it's time to go back to work or that you can go to appointments? No, uh, you need the doctor, but you need a family <laughs> to help you get through that process of, of recovering from that illness. And we, we, it's really important for churches to start to think about poverty alleviation in that way, uh, in that you may not be able to fix everybody's problems. You, you, you're, you may not be able to do the first thing about addiction counseling or you know, uh, helping people get off of a, a, of a drug problem. You may not be able to do the first thing about serious mental health issues. You may not be able to provide a job for a person. But, you know, in a large church, you've got a lot of people that own their own businesses. You might be able to, to connect the dots and help people find a job through your church resources. But oftentimes, um, you're, you're not going to have the 
uh, the, the skills, the knowledge, or the material capacity to fix everybody's problems. So you shouldn't try, but you can be a family. You can say to a person that's, that's, that's coming to you for help, let's work together. Let's make an action plan together to, to you know, I want you to set your goals. I want you to achieve your goals. I'm not going to tell you what your goals should be. I'm not going to tell you how to get out of poverty. I am going to be here with you while we work through all the things that are, that are causing you to be stuck in this cycle. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll drive you places. I'll watch your kids. I will pray with you. I'll, you know, the list, you, the list can be endless, but you know, if you, if, uh, I, I especially, I, I tend to deal with a lot of churches when we're talking about you know, church benevolence issues, like what are the deacons doing? What's the mercy committee doing in the local community? And this is, this concept is so crucial for that, um, that place where most people are encountering someone who's living in poverty for the first time and just getting a, <laughs> getting a different mindset around the people asking you for financial assistance to say, not, not, Hey, how can I, how can I help them as quickly as possible? Or, you know, worst case scenario, how can I make them leave me alone? Mm -hmm. uh, but what if, what if you saw everybody that asked your church for help uh, as a potential member of the church? <laughs> um, you know, and then you think about what you do for somebody who's a member of your church if they were on hard times, and then start doing that for the person that you meet in the community uh, that you're trying to serve. And, yeah. you know, and, and so finding partnership with, you know, with doctors, with social services agencies, with other churches that have different different people in there, the different skill sets, uh, non-community nonprofits, et cetera, you know, build, build a network and, and your church can be the hub that can connect the dots for people to help them get the services they need that are beyond the capacity of your church to do. But, but they need, you know, people need allies. People need somebody that's going to stick with them and walk them through whatever process of change the Lord is, is taking them on uh, over, over the long haul. Yeah. That's a really helpful picture for me in my mind that, that the church can act as a hub that can connect the dots for people. Um, so, so we're talking, you know, partnerships with, like you said, organizations, you know, people that do, you know, like the doctor that, you know, like in your example, the doctor that does know how to treat the cancer. Right. I don't know how to do that. Right. I know what I can do, but there are other mm -hmm. people who can do what they can. And so we're going to build partnerships with those people. And um, so, so partnerships are going to be a key part of it. Um, right. And, and, and what else is there? Is, is there, is there anything, any, anything else? What will, will partnerships with other churches also be important here? Yeah. You know, uh, and again, I, I'm, I'm leaning in, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of people that are listening to, to a podcast called churchology or focus on local church ministry. So I'm yeah. leaning into this, uh, this idea of how we can help without hurting and, and benevolence, you know, and, and that kind of direct life on life ministry in our own local communities. But yeah, partnering with other churches is something, first off, not a lot of American churches do. Uh, I think there's, there's cultural reasons for that uh, from our individuality, et cetera. But the, um, the, the reality is if you, if you're in a low income context, uh, even, or even if you're in, a, in a, a wealthier part of town that's adjacent to a low-income part of town, um, people that are coming to your church asking you for assistance are probably coming to another church. Mm 
And so at the very least, getting to know the other churches in your community and maybe pooling your resources to get a, a shared data set, a shared database of people who are in need in the community can be huge because then you, then you realize like, oh, Louise has been to a church in this neighborhood every Saturday for, for like the last four months asking for money. We should get to know Louise because she's, she's not plugged into any one of these churches. She's just making the rounds. We should get to know her and see how we can help her um, address some of these underlying issues that are causing her to be in chronic financial distress. Um, you know, so that's a piece of the puzzle. But like I said earlier, you might, you know, your church might have uh, a lot of people that work in construction. Another church might have doctors or social services workers, etc. You get to know all of the resources and tools that God has brought together in his body that are at different local churches around mm -hmm. uh, and start to share uh, ideas and, and, uh, and, and work together on uh, meeting, meeting those, those, those deeper needs that are beyond the capacity of any one church to handle uh, in the community. And, um, you know, like, like you said, also partnerships outside the church as well, but uh, a lot of times churches uh, will, when they see a, a lot of needs, they'll end up creating a ministry in their local community. And I guarantee you a lot of your local nonprofits probably started that way <laughs> uh, over the years. The Christian, Christian nonprofits, a lot of them grew out of local churches or partnerships between churches when they realized there were things that the church itself couldn't do. And so they wanted to start something to, to address those specific needs. So find those places, connect the dots with them, and then help them recapture the, the roots in the local church. You know, uh, the theologian Leslie Newbegin uh, writes that, that the parachurch should be rooted in and flow back into the local church so that th there's nothing wrong whatsoever with Christian ministry taking place outside of the four walls of the church, so to speak. Um, but, but to lose sight of the fact that the community is key, that the relationship with Christ and the relationship with other believers is the key factor in transformation. Uh, is is it's a real that, that that connection gets lost a lot of times when we start doing ministry as ministry. We get real deep into the weeds of the practical work of of case management or addiction counseling or whatever. Um, that that is, is good. It's good work, and it was started for a reason, but it starts to get dissociated from the local church over time. So help you know, churches to work together with those agencies, a lot of times that have roots in churches and kind of sew those things back together, uh, you know, bring, bring those relationships back together, be, be able to, to serve the community more fully uh, than, than either of you could separately. Yeah. Yeah. Justin, this has been so good, man. I want to honor your time. Um, but, but maybe one more question uh, before we, before we wrap up is so, so we've, we've talked a lot about all kinds of different topics and, and covered a lot of ground here. Um, but Justin, what should our goal be? What should our goal be when it comes to caring for the poor, um, yeah. poverty alleviation? What, what should our goal be? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, we, we sort of touched on it way back at the beginning and that, you know, we, our brokenness uh, is, is multifaceted. You know, we have broken relationships with God, with ourselves, with others, with the rest of creation. Uh, and the goal is really to help people be restored in 
the way that God has created them to be. So to, to help them experience those relationships being restored, re, being reconnected to God, being reconnected to other people and their families and their communities, being able to understand and address the brokenness in their own souls, being reconnected to a healthy relationship with work, uh, you know, through, through, through the creation. Um, and, and bringing those, those pieces of the puzzle back together so that, you know, like, like, um, I love, I love the language that Peter uses in his epistle where he says, you know, we, we were called, uh, to be a kingdom of priests. You know, he's bringing it back that old Testament Im imagery that, that we are, uh, priests and rulers who so are supposed to, to, to carry God's rule into the world, uh, in the way that he wants it to be, and then carry the worship of the world back to God. Uh, and that we want to see both materially poor and materially wealthy people understanding that relationship with God in a way that they are able to be restored as priests and rulers, uh, fulfilling their, their design, fulfilling everything that it means to be human, uh, and, and worshiping God through that process. So it's, it's not just about uh, getting more stuff. It's, uh, you know, contra the American dream. It's not about self-sufficiency. We don't want people to get out of poverty so they'll stop bothering us. We want them to get out of poverty because they're experiencing brokenness. We want them to experience wholeness. And then we want to be in relationship with them uh, for the long haul. So that, that restoration to who God has made us to be is the goal. And if, if, we're, if we're aiming at anything else, we're going to end up doing a lot more harm than we intend to. Yeah. Wow. Well, Justin, this has been great. Um, Justin, for anybody watching, listening, they want to get more info about the Chalmers Center. They want to connect with it. You gave the website earlier. Do it one more time. We'll have it in the show notes. Yeah. Chalmers.org. That's C-H-A-L-M-E-R-S.org. Uh, and, and we have multiple uh tools, books, curriculum uh, there that you can, you can access a lot of video-based online training that we've been creating over the past few years to help uh, churches learn together through a Sunday school class, even our small group. Um, and uh, we also have a blog that you, you can subscribe to and get uh, free uh, ideas and resources delivered to your inbox every Wednesday uh, from us as well. So, yeah. uh, and, and you can reach out and call anytime. We, we actually are uh, really engaging over the next few years, we hope, and, and being able to be more responsive to local churches here. So we, we've got static tools and resources that you can use anytime, but uh, we're also working hard on being more available to answer questions and uh, just help people think through these things together because it's, it's a process. You know, we, poverty alleviation is, is, a, is a long process. It takes years, decades sometimes to, to help people walk through transformation. Um, but we also, you know, because of all those things I mentioned earlier on in, in, the, in the conversation about the, the brokenness in American culture that leads to us doing this poorly as a church, we are trying to recognize that we need to be patient with churches too. And so if you just need to talk, if you wanna, you're, you're thinking about these things and you're wondering, uh, what do I do next? How do I, how do I move, the, you know, move the ball down the field in this conversation with my, with my church, with my pastor? Um, we can help. We can help with that too. You know, we're trying trying to help you be successful as a church and understanding the mission of God in the world and your part in it. Great, and we'll have links to to all that in the show notes where they can find you on social media and great. and all of that. Justin, it's been great. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Mark.
as churches, we're not called to just exist for ourselves. We are supposed to be expressions of the kingdom of God in the communities and in the neighborhoods where God has planted us. And so, Justin, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today to help us to to increase our imagination of what it would look like for us to be signs of the kingdom right where we are. Now, everything Justin mentioned today in the show, there's links for it in the show notes. So make sure to check that out. You can also find ways to connect with Justin on social media as well. Hey, speaking of social media, we're on there. You can find the Churchology Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Let's connect. I'd love to know what you thought about today's episode. And if you want to watch today's episode, did you know we've got a YouTube channel? And you can watch every single interview we've ever done. Go there, subscribe to it to make sure that you never miss an interview when it pops up. And it would be really helpful if you have a few seconds this week, leave us a rating and review. That just helps the podcast get in front of more people and it's super helpful. So if you've got some free time this week, leave us a rating and review. Now next week we're coming back with a brand new episode. Next week I talk to Charles Stone about his book, Holy Noticing, the Bible, your brain, and the mindful space between moments. Can't wait for you to check it out. New episodes of the Churchology Podcast, they come out every Tuesday. So subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll never miss an episode. And until then, let's connect on social media. See you next Tuesday on the Churchology Podcast.